This episode of Aliens Explored is dedicated to our Explorer of the Week, Toby Foams. Toby has signed up to our Patreon, which helps us and provides us with the resources to do what uh, to do what we love and which we know that you love too. Um, check out our Patreon page at uh, patreon.com forward slash Aliens Explored and see what rewards are available to you, including t-shirts and, and uh, the chance to, to join us in a discussion of whatever a particular aspect of ufology interests you so thanks once again to toby foams our explorer of the week aliens explored is a podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of ufo sightings alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a skeptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? In June 1959, William Gill, an Anglican priest in Papua New Guinea, observed a strange craft hovering in the sky, with figures seemingly walking around on top of it. Around 25 other people saw it too. They even signalled to these humanoids and received a response. Was this a UFO or is there a more prosaic explanation? Join us on Aliens Explored as we delve into the Papua New Guinea UFO of June 1959. Welcome back listeners to Aliens Explored, your weekly podcast where we look at UFO encounters, extraterrestrial encounters, extra-dimensional beings, all manner of strange and mysterious things from... We're guessing the skies. Who knows, though? I am one of your hosts, Stu Jackson. And I'm uh, your other host, Neil Kelly. <laughs> You're also one of our hosts. I'm also one of your hosts, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Neil? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. You? Oh, yes, yes, very good, thank you. Um, let's see, at the time this goes out, I will have been, just got back from America. Wow, yes. Uh, so, yeah, I had a wonderful time. I mean, we're recording this in advance, <laughs> but I'm hoping I had a wonderful You're time. You're hoping, you, yes, <laughs> that it would have been a wonderful time by the time listeners hear this. Yeah, yeah, off to a Star Trek convention in Chicago. Very nice. excited. First Very time. Excited. First time ever in America. Hmm. So a little bit nervous about COVID, a little bit nervous about guns. Um, yeah. Well, they're, they're real dangers. I mean, what, one thing that starts, I've been to America a few times, and the thing that struck me the first time, I, I, I don't know if Americans will, will agree with this, but we, we think we're very familiar with America because we're always seeing it on our TV screens, cinema screens. We think we know America and that it, it's like here. And then when you get over there, you find actually it's very different, and attitudes are very different, and you know, even trying to find a toilet is very different. It's, um, yeah, it's. I, I was surprised how how alien it was to me. 
what key differences should I be looking for then? I, I know it, it's the little things. It's the way the way things are done. It's yeah. It's 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 hard to put my finger on it. It was just something that I thought would be very familiar suddenly wasn't very familiar mm. Mm. from the moment I arrived. Got me a little bit worried saying there aren't any <laughs> toilets because you know I'm of a certain age. Even um, things that you're you're used to seeing on TV, like like people walking around with with holstered guns, um, it's it's disconcerting when you first see it. You do actually get that, then. That's not just Hollywood. No, you do actually get that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, people who are authorised, you know, people in uniform. Oh, oh okay, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, funnily enough, when I um, when I moved to London, mm. um, which was what was that five years ago now? Um, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm fairly used to city life. I'd lived in various cities around the UK, um, but moved to London, and I was out walking in the West London one day. And I walked past, it, I'm guessing it must be an ambassadorial place, um, mm. and there are guards outside with machine guns. Yeah, if you're... Um, Scared the crap out of me. If you're anywhere near the, the Saudi embassy or the Israeli embassy, yeah, be careful approaching those. I mean, I didn't approach I was literally just walking past the bit, but yeah, two yeah. guards either side of the front door with, with actual machine guns. Mm. All right, whoa! No, no, I'm not a fan of guns. I'm not <laughs> a fan of guns. We're, we're not. Um, we're not used to them over here. We're no, not, uh, they're not part of our lives. No, but uh, anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about this <laughs> week. I mean, we always end up talking about things we're not here to talk about. <laughs> that's part parcel of it. Um, but this week we are going back in time to June 1959 and the islands of Papuan. Pap, Pap, oh, I can't even Papua, say it. Papua. Papua. Papua New Guinea and Buanai in particular. Hmm. Um, and it's this really interesting story that uh, has been examined and uh, uh, the people involved interviewed extensively um, where you've got a, a missionary school uh, run by Father Gill. An Anglican priest. An Anglican priest indeed and his 38 students mm. who have a UFO encounter. Uh, now, I'm going to ask a question. I, I often ask this of you, Neil. Had you heard of this encounter before we said we were going to talk about it? Um, I don't think I have. I mean, the um, the picture, I mean, there's a sort of sketch of the UFO, which looks like a table with people walking around on top of it. Oh, I've seen the, sketches. Yeah, I've seen mm. that somewhere before. But I hadn't really heard of it. I hadn't put it any context. Yeah, Papua New Guinea or Father Gill didn't mean anything to me. Right. I mean, it might be. Um, it, it comes up quite often on the, these documentaries that we like to mm. watch. Um, so maybe it, it was one of those. Um, but yeah. So um, well, it starts before June. In fact, it starts around April time of 1959. 
when he and his students notice quite a lot of strange objects in the night sky over an extended period of time. Actual objects that they could see up close. I mean, uh, moving objects. Yeah, not not. Or my understanding of it is not identifiable as vehicles or anything like that. Just you know, lights moving about. We're, we're talking either lights in the night sky or possibly aircraft in the distance. Or yeah, but moving about, um, and. Hmm. For them to have made note of it, you know, we're obviously talking about something unusual with that. Hmm. Um, but no, 26th of June is when it all kicks off massively, um, when this four-legged disc-shaped object hovers nearby in front of them all, and four figures emerge from it and start working on it. It doesn't land, even though it's got legs. It just hovers. No, so around. it's sort of hovering. There. How, did he say how high it was? It uh, didn't. I, I don't recall seeing a particular height. Um, no, I couldn't find anything about height. But it, it just said it looks like a it looks like a round coffee table, with with four legs that are actually. So close to the centre, you imagine it wouldn't be very stable. You know, once it's landed, they'd be telling you, yeah, don't, don't walk too far over that side. You'll tip the whole thing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, apparently, they, they, it said in inverted commas, they signalled these humanoid forms and received an apparent response. which They wasn't waved a, at them. Is that what they, they mean? They, they signalled them. That wasn't until the second night. Right. So on the first night, this thing just appears and they just wash them as... as yeah, these these humanoid figures, and I'm saying hmm. humanoid, one head, two arms, two legs, you know, that's, hmm. that's humanoid. Um, they, they come in and out of it. There's occasionally a blue light that shines out the top of it. Um, but for 45 minutes, it hovers there whilst it... Uh, I think the theorising that, that uh, Father Gill... Did and um, and his students were was that they were either doing repairs or some kind of work on it. That's what it looked to them to be. Now, um, Father Gill drew a picture of this thing, a little sketch, and also in the in the sketch, come, seemingly coming out of the top of it at an angle, is he's written shaft of blue light. Yes, yes, that that came and went. Is that coming from the craft or going to the craft? Uh, coming from the craft. Right. It, it, I can't tell from his sketch whether it's going straight up into the sky or at an angle into the sky or sort of going horizontal. It was It was go, from his description, it was going pretty much straight up. Right. But yeah, this, this strange blue light. Yeah, 45 minutes. I mean, that's... Not a short amount of time to no. be hovering there. And they just stood there watching them for 45 minutes. And Yeah. Because, um, I mean, extraterrestrials can be very shy sometimes, can't they? As soon as they realise they're being observed, off they go. Seems to be. Seems to be. But on the second night, the 27th, now this is where the waving comes in because this... Well, we're assuming the same craft, but hmm. you know, certainly appears to be the same craft, appears with two smaller craft as well. 
right. uh, kind of flanking it. Um, and the same thing happens again. Um, humanoids come out and appear to be doing work. And, yeah, and one of the um, – I think it's one of the people assisting Father Gale sort of waves their hands like, in a, you know, both hands together hmm. um, as you would signal someone on a craft some distance away. Um, and they do the same back. And then later on, uh, Father Gill gets a, a flashlight and switches it on and starts sort of swinging it through the air. Mm-hmm. And the craft moves in the same pattern afterwards as a response. Yeah, there's a few times during the evening that they wave to them and they wave back mm. as a response. Now, Papua New Guinea, especially in those days, was an extremely remote and underdeveloped part of the world, wasn't it? Basically, mm. people were living, you know, hunter-gatherers, living in the jungle. Yeah. And I guess he was there to bring his Anglican faith to them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, <laughs> the, the, uh, I don't know if anyone, yeah, any, any extraterrestrials were there to observe any technology. You know, we're interested in your in your blowpipes and spears and... Well, who knows what they were doing? Like I say, they speculated that they might have been doing repairs, but that's, yeah, that is speculation. But this time it's there for one hour, 45 minutes. Now, there's been speculation that it was um, an experimental aircraft. That doesn't sound very likely. I, I, I don't have any craft that would just hover there while people walk around on top of it, fixing it. Um, nor, you know... Being waved at with the wave back in an experimental craft like that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing in a top secret craft, and someone sees you doing it and waves to you. And you think, oh, I'll just, I'll just wave back like it's no big deal. Like, <laughs> there's nothing to see here, folks. I'm just, you know, that's it. And then the we have. An occurrence on the eighth night as well, on the twenty eighth. Mm. Uh, sorry, on the third night, not the eighth night. On on the twenty eighth, which was the third night. Um, this time you have eight objects in the sky. Late at night, or, or uh, later in the evening, mm. um, and of course by this time it's becoming old hat. So, Father Girl sort of sees it there, so he goes in. Can't be asked. Pops his head out, has a look. Oh, yeah, they're still there. Goes back in, has something to eat. Um, and after a period of time, yeah, yeah, they're still there. Um, and then it wasn't until quite late at night, about, uh, they've recorded it as 20 past 11. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a loud bang that comes from above. Um, obviously, they, they rush out and have a look, and these eight objects are quite a distance up in the sky um they later had a look or the next day they had a look at the roof of this missionary um because the the bang you know they thought something had been damaged or Hmm. broken absolutely no damage whatsoever which makes you wonder if it was a sonic boom they heard or something like that that would be the first i mean i've 
we've, we've looked at all these cases of UFOs flying at phenomenal speeds, and one thing they don't do is seem to have any visible means of propulsion. Mm. Well, a lot of the time they don't, but they certainly don't break the sound barrier. They obviously have a way of passing through the air, or that there's a, a the, there's that maybe they're just not solid enough. Yeah, but interdimensional craft. You know, they're not they're not building up enough air pressure in front of them to cause a sonic boom. Yeah, that is how a sonic boom works, isn't it? You know, builds uh, up in front of you and then you go through it. As the air, yeah, I I'm not mm. an expert, but yes, uh, it's, it's you're you're compressing the air in front of you, creating mm. a vacuum behind you. Also, flying saucers don't seem to have what we would understand as the normal means of steering an aircraft, the ailerons and rudders and that sort of thing. Not that we it's, can see, no. 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 Which are, I mean, with, with, with our aircraft, you can tell the difference between an aircraft that, that can fly at supersonic speeds and one that can't or isn't intended to um, just by looking at the tail. Mm. Um, because what what um, test pilots discovered, usually to their <laughs> at the cost of their lives, um, when they were first breaking the sound barrier, was um, a normal tailplane on an aircraft. It would have these alien. It would have a fixed tailplane with these ailerons on it that would that would you know go up and down to direct the plane up and down. The ailerons go up. The plane goes whatever. The ailerons go down. The plane dives. Um, mm. And what they found was that as they approached the speed of sound, they lost control. Or the controls appeared to be reversed, and they couldn't work out why. They, they, they realized it was because there's so much turbulence around it that it, it can't function normally. So if you if you see a supersonic aircraft, it'll be where the tailplane, the whole tailplane rotates. Mm-hmm. It's not just a fixed tailplane with a couple of alien with a couple of alien ones. It's the whole tailplane. That's how you can mm. tell it's supersonic. But mm. UFOs don't seem to do anything like that. No. No, um, and of course, if you're navigating through space, well, yeah, you can't navigate through space with 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 um, fins that are designed to steer you by, uh, you by know, causing pressure. <laughs> no, well, basically, yeah, you you want to you want to turn left, so you put up a fin that will, will cause um, resistance, wind resistance, or air resistance on the left hand side on the on your port side, I should say, and then you'll veer around to the left because you're your port side has, has slowed down. That's how you steer a plane. Well, rockets, I mean, I know they have very small fins um, on them, but that's, I've, I'm the, speculating a bit, but I think that's just to stop them from spinning round, isn't it? I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just decorative, like on a, you know, a 1950s, <laughs> 1950s car, you know. I all, all the chrome work and the... much decorative on a rocket, <laughs> but certainly they don't have wings and ailerons, mm. like you say. Um, but no, this is uh, yeah, this is this is very much your traditional disc-shaped craft, mm. um, but not your traditional guys getting out and walking around on top of it. No, that's unusual, and indeed. Uh, Reverend Gill, uh, or Father Gill, Mm. um, he's been interviewed by a lot of people, obviously, Mm. over the years. Uh, Notably, um, Hynek, who created the classifications, uh, the 
Close Encounters classifications. Mm. Uh, he he interviewed him famously. Yet people found him to be intelligent and insightful, sober, um, lucid. Yeah, um, and a really good quality witness. Uh, and of course, because it's not just him, there's 38 of his students as well. Mm. But it didn't plunge him into a religious mania. He didn't see it as a sign of no the apocalypse or no. angels or anything like that. He didn't, no, it just seemed to be... His creed didn't really... Taking it very... I mean, you know, seeing it as unusual, but... Mm. Yeah. A really, really interesting case. Um, for, for our um, non-British listeners, um, the Anglican Church is an offshoot of the Catholic Church, um, that when Henry VIII wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon and the Pope wouldn't let him, the Pope wouldn't agree to it. I mean, the Pope had all sorts of, <laughs> there was other pressure on him. Uh, the fact that Catherine of Aragon was an extremely powerful woman. Um, her nephew was the Holy Roman Emperor who pretty much had the Pope surrounded in Vatican City. The Pope didn't really didn't want to do anything to upset the aunt of the, of the guy who was holding him hostage. So, um, he, he didn't agree to the divorce, and it, it all ended up with, with Henry VIII creating not a Protestant religion, but um, the English Catholic religion without the corruption of Rome, which became the Catholic Church. So um, in, in terms of how they conduct their services and their beliefs and their communion and all that, it's not very different from the Catholic Church at all. No, no, just the English version, anglicised, mm. or Anglican. Yes. Yes. Anglican, yeah. Whenever you mention Catherine of Aragon, though, I always think daughter of Arathon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, oh, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say about this. It has been suggested that maybe he was looking at Venus, as Venus was visible in the night sky. Yeah, um, I mean... <laughs> that seems a bit of a stretch he, he's to been me. interviewed presumably some of his students have been interviewed they they all agree on what they saw they saw it up close yep. and for an extended period of time enough to have a, a good look at it yeah um, i mean did any of them think well I'll, it's near enough I'll, I'll take a walk and walk underneath it and maybe look at it from the other side and or was it yeah. out in the sea or something i, I it? think it was oh. out a distance away. I mean, the fact they were having to sort of wave with their hands over their heads. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't get the impression it was like a few feet away. I get the impression it was rather further mm. away than that. But enough to wave to someone, near yeah. enough to wave, and yeah. for them to see you and wave back. Um, but at that sort of distance, if they were non-human, um, would that be noticeable? I mean, did did Father Gill actually use the expression humanoid forms, or did he say people? I uh, saw people wandering around on top. That's an excellent question. I haven't seen his original report uh, on it, or, no. or read the transcripts from his original interviews, but we have seen his sketches. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I've got his sketches, but and they're definitely humanoid in that. I mean, it's the, the word humanoid is the one that I'm using, just to, like I said, very broadly, one head, two arms, two legs. Hmm. That's that's humanoid. 
The, the sketch that I'm looking at is sort of because it's it's he's sketching what he saw from underneath. You can only see the sort of top half, mm. um, so you can see a, a head and body. Um, he's drawn it too small. The, the the detail of the arms isn't there, and presumably he he was able to get uh, yeah because he can't see their legs. You can speculate that they've got two legs. Maybe they've got eight tentacles like an octopus. Uh, and it's theoretically possible, although, um, well, no, if it's a, I was going to say he would have seen the way they were moving and, you know, if they were moving oddly. But then if it was at distance, would he have noticed if they were moving oddly? Yeah, and I'd also imagine if you're stood on top of a flying disc, assuming the proportions here are, are realistic or, or, or close to what he saw, then yeah, you wouldn't be walking around. Or you'd, you'd you'd either have a safety harness of some kind, mm. um, or or you'd be yeah treading very tentatively. Or maybe you've got some way of walking that that's you know some kind of special shoe, or maybe it's a natural feature of your foot that you can just adhere to things. And yeah, maybe these things yeah. can walk up walls. Magnetic boots. Um, there might also be technological um, protections in place. If, for example, there's an mm. invisible force field type thing mm. stopping them from falling off the edge I don't yeah. know I don't know just, all we can do is speculate on that maybe they were under a, some sort of transparent dome that didn't reflect the light so it looked like they were just walking around the top yeah who knows yeah, that's, I'm that's speculating I mean, I, mean I can't it's hard to come up with an alternative, a prosaic explanation for this, isn't it? It's to say, well, it could have been this or it could have been that. No, I don't think it could. It could I don't think it could have been an experimental aircraft. Um, I don't think it could have been Venus. No. <laughs> Which brings us up to three possibilities. Okay. He and his students are just out and out lying. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, he and his students are under the influence of something, you know, medication, drugs, um, some sort of mass delusion of some mm-hmm. description. Or the third option, they're telling the truth. So you've got lying and, or deliberately lying, inadvertently lying. Or telling the truth. Now, um, there's one report that said this was one of 60, 60 UFO sightings within a few weeks in the New Guinea area. Mm. So, yes, I read something similar. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot. There, there were a lot, and 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 who knows why? I mean, well, UFO sightings do tend to cluster. Um, I know we've talked about some in uh, in Belgium when there was like a whole spate of them happening mm. all at once. They, they they do cluster. Now, whether that's because somebody sees one and then everybody's suddenly looking up, seeing if they can see one when mm. they just wouldn't have noticed them otherwise, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. It was. Is it recorded how this had? If this had any effect on? The the, the 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 rest of um, William Gill's life, Father Gill's life. Well, it's bound to have well, had destroyed, an effect on him. Destroyed um, his faith. <laughs> um, 
Um, or reaffirmed his faith. It, Nothing it's funny one that, way or another on that that I can see. Uh, but it, it's funny. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but someone with deep enough religious beliefs to become an Anglican priest um, immediately thinks uh, creatures from another world rather than angels, for instance. Well, why not? Why not what? Why, why not think of creatures from another world? You know, I mean, well, so I, I personally yeah. don't believe in any God, but if I did, I could quite happily reconcile in my head the idea that just because he created life on this planet doesn't mean to say he hasn't created it on other planets as but well. If, if you believe in something that's outside of this world um, and then you see something that doesn't fit this world, you're going to try and fit it to the thing that you believe in, aren't you? So, Not would, always. Would you, I mean, yeah. You, you, see, you, see, you see these creatures in the sky glowing and, and you know, you, why wouldn't you think they were angels if that's the kind of thing you believe in? Well, don't forget the whole thing about angels having wings is not in the Bible anyway. No, that's a, that's a recent addition. Yeah, and he would have, anyway. he might have known that, but he's seen these these beings yeah. coming down from the heavens. There are many examples of ufologists who are devout Christians as well. Um, yeah, the two things can exist side by side. Is, is it true that you know in the 18th century, when um, people first started going up in balloons, the Montgolfier brothers, and then and then so on, that there was concern that um, they would they would disturb heaven? They, they were going up into the sky. I've I've heard and, that. I've heard it. And, and then when people did go up in the sky and found that there was no kingdom of heaven up there, um, they kind of had to come up with another story about where heaven is. Yeah, there to think of it in different I, terms. I can, it's not. It's not just that. up in the clouds. Well, we we are taught, or certainly, you know, in this country because we're a, an allegedly Christian country. Um, I I was taught at school to like Christian beliefs, um, hmm. and yeah, our, yeah, heaven is up in the sky, hell is down below us. Uh, well, of course, it's far more abstract than that. Anyway, like if you if when you read the actual Bible, it is far more abstract than that. Mm. It's not saying it is directly beneath your feet. And in fact, the whole Bible is is just really abstract. And people, uh, I, I I don't have problems with Christian, except for when people take it very very literally. Mm. Um, I, well, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I don't have a problem with that because I think, well, if you're going to believe this, um, you, you can't cherry pick the Bible. You either believe it's the word of God or you don't. You can't say, well, I believe this bit, but not that bit. Or or this, although this sounds improbable, it probably means something else. Or I, I've interpreted this in a different way. And yeah, it, it, I, I don't hold with that. If you're going to be a, a, a Christian, be a fundamentalist and say, yeah, I believe it. I believe well, it no, all. Or, no, or I don't believe not- it necessary at all because that's the thing the bible is not the word of god and i challenge any christian on this it is not the word of god it is man's interpretation of the word of god if you believe in god it's man's interpretation of the word of god Um, because it's it's written by man 
it's not it's been written, written by, by man, God. and it's it's been um, it's been challenged by man. I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. the, the the Bible most commonly used now is the King James Bible, and King James, who came to the throne in sixteen o two or three. Um, I'll take your word for it. Sometime around there, um, in, at a time of huge religious turmoil, he basically got the leaders of the main Christian sects together and you know, shut them in a room and said, "Come up with a Bible that you can all agree on, a, a yeah. version of it." And that, so we have the King James Bible. Yeah. Well, the the yeah, um, and they've left huge, huge parts out of it. Um, there are books in the Bible, yeah, that were written. Yeah, three hundred years ago, hmm. and these will be the the uh, the subject of conspiracy theories that's as well. Why, of course. That's why you don't take it literal; it's abstract. Hmm. But you know, if people want to believe, they believe. Um, yeah, just don't take it literally. Anyway, well, you we're, know, we're, we're off topic. We're, we're, off, we're topic. off topic, but you know, we we do. <laughs> you know, my religious upbringing it was it was Church of England, very very wishy washy, where they say things like, "Well, you know, Jesus, if there really was a Jesus, uh, perhaps it would have been several people." This has been attributed to, but you know, and we when they, when they say he rose the dead, well, perhaps he wasn't really dead, or you know, that, yeah. But, so it's it's a to expect me to kind of believe in it or dedicate myself to it when it's so vague and wishy washy anyway that. And, and there isn't really much of a moral lesson to be learned from it. Well, you know, no wonder I'm not a believer. That's it. But anyway, back on to topic, <laughs> yeah, because we're running out of time. So um, this occurrence in 1959 in Papua New Guinea, Neil, genuine UFO encounter, genuine extraterrestrial visitation on a um, missionary... It looks like it. I mean, to take him at his word, that's exactly what it sounds like. And and I can't say, because, and nobody else has been able to say in the intervening 63 years, that, um, that it was anything else, that nothing else seems seems credible. The, the only thing that's, yeah, we, we, it, we just have to take his word for it, don't we? That that's what he saw, but we can't really... Yeah, can't really do anything more with it. No, I I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, the fact that these creatures, these beings, appear to be human or human-like, it puts me in mind of like, hang on a minute, could it be time travel rather than you know? And and there is an argument to say that actually UFOs are time travel rather than. Um, oh, if if they're if they're interdimensional beings, then yeah, they will travel through time, won't they? That, uh, well, no, us from the future. Dimension, time is a dimension. Yes, but us humans from another time from the future. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a that's just a speculative theory out there mm. amongst many many others. What do you think, though, listeners? Is the whole thing in 1959? Did he make it up with his students? Um, you know, get a bit of attention, try and get a bit of funding out there, like like you say, Neil. You know, uh, not a very wealthy place at all. Certainly, it, well, it, it's one of the most primitive places on the planet at the time. And, and and did they get any funding as a result? Was there any bid for for I money or? Don't know, but it might have put the place on the map at least. So. I don't know, um, um, but 
listeners, what do you think? Is it genuine? Is it not? Do let us know via the usual means. You can email us aliensexplored at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Aliens Explored, or you can sign up to one of our Patreon tiers and get exclusive access to our Discord server where you can chat with us and fellow explorers about this and any of the other topics that we discuss on the show. Uh, you can find details at patreon.com forward slash aliens explored and the details are linked below uh, join us next time though when speaking of time we'll be looking into the lost time phenomenon that you get with a lot of ufo encounters uh, where people suddenly they'll see a ufo and suddenly realize it's two hours later mm. and they don't know why Mm. Yeah, we we have touched on this before, haven't we? We have. People have experienced this in far more depth, so you don't want to miss that one. In the meantime, keep watching the skies above the missionaries and elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Take care for now. Catch you next time. Bye bye. Aliens Explored is a Fiegel Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit aliensexplored.com. <laughs>